All right, amen. Welcome to our family worship service. Was that not exciting? What a blessing to see the kids sing and to join us uh, for worship this morning. So I'm conscious that there are a lot of little people in here that are not normally here. That's okay, because they've done great so far. They sing better than you guys do, too. I'm going to promise you that. Uh, what an exciting day uh, that we have today. And, and so I just felt festive today. And so today was Aloha shirt day. I didn't even tell you. I just did it myself. Uh, because I'm so excited about that. In fact, it, the, the auction is so exciting. Somebody showed up last night at 4.15. They were just amped up, okay? So uh, tonight at 4 o'clock, we have the auction, uh, the silent auction, and the open purchase tables begin at 4 o'clock. Dinner is served at 5, five and then the real auction, the live auction, starts at 5.30. And, and I'm excited. By the word I'm getting uh, from you there's going to be some intense battles out there over certain items. I'm not going to start anything this morning. I'm going to wait till this afternoon, but it's all gloves off tonight, okay? Come in at the last minute, outbid somebody, make them mad, and you go home with what you want, okay? It's going to be a great time. Uh, don't miss it tonight. If you're not signed up, uh, Pastor Andy and Melody will be available right after the service. They're so right down here on the second row. Uh, a couple teens, I'm sure, will be with them. If you haven't bought a ticket yet, we have about, I think, about 20 or 30 seats left. So if you're here and you haven't bought a ticket, that's okay. We still have open seats. And we do have a little bit of overflow seating. Uh, so we do have some extra uh, seats potentially available to you. So show up at 4 o'clock to get a look at the items. And I'll talk a little bit more about that at the end of the service. Today I am going to begin a new series. Uh, and as you're turning to Hosea chapter 1, I want to kind of give you a little bit of groundwork here, okay? For three years we studied the life of the Lord Jesus Christ chronologically from his pre-existence to his incarnation, his virgin birth, uh, his life, his teaching, all the way to, of course, crucifixion, uh, resurrection, and then uh, we just looked at his ascension last Sunday. And that was three years, and I, although I was tempted to just run at it again, because many of you weren't here for the whole three years, uh, most of it you can listen to online through our podcast, and I hope that you will. I felt like doing something a little different over the, over the summer, really, starting now. And I'm going to do something I've never done before in preaching, and that is, uh, instead of going through a book, I'm going to take a set of books within the Bible called the Minor Prophets. The easiest way for you to remember them, it's the last 12 books in the order of your Old Testament. So it starts with Hosea, and it ends with Malachi. There's 12 books right there together, and they are called the Minor Prophets. Now, they're the books of the Bible that you likely know least about. Not, not because it, you didn't go to school, or not because you're not intelligent, or not because you don't know the Bible, but they get less attention. In fact, that's why they're called the Minor Prophets, not because their message isn't important, but their message is shorter in length and less known than prophets like Isaiah or Jeremiah, Ezekiel or Daniel. And so these prophets are, are, have an amazing story and an amazing message. Instead of walking through each book, each chapter, and each verse, I'm going to take one week for 12 weeks in a row, and I'm going to give you the predominant message of that book, a bit of an overview, so that when you go back through and desire to maybe read it again, hopefully the next time you look at it, uh, you are going to find that it's uh, a little bit more understandable for you, but more importantly, that you can take away one big dominant truth away from each book, and you'll be able to identify the book by that, plus the lessons are just absolutely encouraging uh, for our hearts. Now, if you've still not found Hosea, 
it's okay to cheat, okay? And what I mean by cheat is you can use the table of contents in the front of your Bible. It'll give you a page number. But if you open up almost to the middle of the Bible, just almost a crack right in the middle, you're going to probably be in Psalms, okay? And then you just start turning the other direction toward the New Testament. If you start seeing things like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, those are the big prophets, the major prophets. Then you're going to see Daniel. That's, that's the last of the major prophets. Hosea is right after Daniel, okay? And so that's where we're going to be today in one of the most fascinating stories in all the Bible. So I'd like to begin my reading in Hosea chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea the son of Beri in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam the son of Joash, king of Israel. When the Lord began to speak by Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take yourself a wife of harlotry and children of harlotry, for the land has committed great harlotry by departing from the Lord. So he went and took Gomer. Now I'm going to stop there and go ahead and clear the air there, okay? Because all of you Andy Griffith lovers think that Andy Griffith is like, you know, it's, it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Andy Griffith, okay? So this is not Gomer uh, from the Andy Griffith show. This is uh, Gomer, Hosea's wife. I know it's a funny name. It has nothing to do with Andy Griffith, but that's her name, okay? So he marries this woman named Gomer. She conceives and bears a son. The Lord said to him, call his name Jezreel, for in a little while I will avenge the bloodshed of Jezreel in the house of Jehu and bring an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. It shall come to pass in that day that I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. And she conceived again and bore a daughter. Then God said to him, call her name Lo-Rahomah. For I will no longer have mercy on the house of Israel, but I will utterly take them away. Yet I will have mercy on the house of Judah, will save them by the Lord their God, and will not save them by bow, nor by sword, nor by battle, by horses or horsemen. Now, when she had weaned uh, Lo-Huramah, she conceived and bore a son. Then God said, call his name Lo-Ami, for you are not my people, and I will not be your God. Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And it shall come to pass in the place where they said to them, you are not my people, it shall be said to them, you are the sons of the living God. Then the children of Judah and children of Israel shall be together, gathered together, and appoint for themselves one head. And they shall come up out of the land, for great will be the day of Jezreel. Watch this. Say to your brethren, my people, and to your sisters, mercy is shown. Amen. I want to preach to you this morning. Again, I'm, my, my goal, I hope you'll see this in a minute, is going to try to be really simplify this for you. But my message today is, is it's titled this simply. Just how far will God go? Listen to the final words of what has been the most popular song in Great Britain in 60 years. As popular as the Beatles is the new singer Adele. Her most famous song ends with these words, the last two lines of the final chorus. Here they are. Sometimes in last in love, but sometimes it hurts us bad. This song, among many of her songs, has 1.9 billion views on the music video on YouTube. It has 1.5 billion streams 
uh, on Spotify. And while it's not the most popular song in the world, over the last 60 years, it is the third most popular song in Great Britain. Now, she sings quite a few other songs, obviously. She's one of the most popular singers today. And yet, this song itself is her most popular song. And why is that? Why is it that a song about a breakup, a bad breakup, that evidently was some kind of mirror of a real-life story that she encountered, somebody that she thought she was going to marry, but it did not end the way that she wanted it to end, why is it that a song like this becomes the most popular song this hit singer has ever released? And the answer should be obvious. Because just about everybody can identify with a song like this. Just about everybody can identify with what it means to think you are loved, or to think you are in love, or to think you are in a committed relationship, or to think you have something you can count on, only to find that in fact, oftentimes, you can't. This is the message that God is going to send to Israel through the prophet Hosea. In Hosea chapter 1, verse 1, the Bible tells us the times in which uh, Hosea ministered. And if you'll notice, it, it's obviously quite a span of time. It tells us, first of all, that he ministered from Uzziah all the way to Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Now, if you're not familiar with that, in Israel, after King Solomon, the kingdom of Israel divided into two kingdoms. There were the southern kingdoms of Judah, and there were the northern kingdoms of Israel. And sometimes these preachers would preach predominantly to Judah, and sometimes they would preach predominantly to Israel. Now Hosea is going to preach predominantly to Israel, but he gives us a reference point of the length of time in which he ministered. Jeroboam II of Israel ministered for nearly 50 years. And he's simply demonstrating to us that while Jeroboam II of Israel ministered for nearly 50 years, there were four different kings that came and went through Judah. What does that tell you about Hosea? It tells you that he had a very long and fruitful ministry. He preached the gospel for a long time. He was a faithful man of God, which makes what God asked him to do all the more bizarre. See, God is going to use Hosea to preach a message of unfaithfulness to Israel. But yet, God is also going to show Israel their own unfaithfulness by Hosea's story. See, look at verse number 2. And verse number 2 says, When the Lord began to speak by Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take yourself a wife of harlotry and children of harlotry. Now that is a very strong thing to say. Now there's only two ways to look at this. Either one, Gomer, when Hosea met her, she was already an immoral and unfaithful woman. And that is uh, completely likely. In fact, the number one sin that Hosea deals with in this book is the sin of idolatry. And the predominant idol that is worshipped in Israel at this time is called Baal. And Baal was, of course, the fertility god. It was a, it was a very immoral and twisted worship system. And what God is, uh, God likely told Hosea, I want you to go get one of these women that serves in this immoral way. And I want you to bring her to yourself and I want you to marry her. Either that is true or God is telling Hosea, I want you to go get married, but I'm going to tell you before this even starts that this woman is going to become immoral. She is going to cheat on you. She's going to walk out on you. And guess what? That is exactly what she did. 
when you read the first chapter, you find that Hosea brings her to himself, and everything seems to be normal at the beginning. In fact, the Bible says they came together, and they had a child, and the child is named. But then the Bible says in the next two children, you'll notice that Hosea is not in the picture. It just simply says, Gomer had a child, which seems to indicate that these two latter children came to Gomer from another man. And now you're going to watch Hosea love his unfaithful wife, and you're going to watch Hosea raise children that aren't even his own as a picture to all of us that although we have often been unfaithful to God, God has never been unfaithful to us. You see, in this story, Hosea is a picture of God and Gomer is a picture of us. And as bizarre as this story sounds, as bizarre as it sounds, that God would tell this preacher, I want you to go marry a woman that is going to go out on you and is going to leave you at home with three kids, two of which are not even your own, to care for while she goes out and runs the streets of the city at night and leaves you to stay up at night to, uh, to, to put the kids back to bed when they wake up crying. Leaves you to be the one that feeds them at dinner time and wakes them up and gets them off to school in the morning. The whole time with a broken heart. Hosea, I want you to love them and I want you to care for them. And when your wife needs you the most because she has ran out on you, cheated on you, and nearly destroyed everything that was true of your family. I want you to forgive her. I want you to welcome her back. And while that sounds like it's crazy... The picture is to demonstrate to all of us just how far will God go. How far will God go? The answer is there is no limit to how far God will go. There is no boundary to how far God's love extends. How many of you are glad to know there is no, there's no tideline on God's forgiveness, of God's love, of God's mercy? There's no, there's no limit, just like the galaxies are limitless and unexplorable. I'm here to tell you this morning, there is no limit to God's love. That is the story of Hosea. Now this morning, I'm going to make this super simple. I want you to just simply remember that what Hosea is talking about here is what we call the covenant committed eternal love of God. It's used all throughout the Old Testament. It's translated in the old King James Version, loving kindness. It, it means love without end. Sometimes it's translated mercy. It is a word that means that God is committed to you. That God ultimately never walks out on his child. I hope somebody's getting a blessing out of this this morning. I'm talking about you. I'm talking about with all your failures, with all your faults, with all your mistakes, with all your sins, with whatever rap sheet you have, with whatever, whatever story you've got in the background. I'm here to tell you, it doesn't matter. There is no limit to God's love for you. And friend, I don't know who you are. I don't know who and how you came to church today with whatever story you came in with, I'm glad that I can tell you and each and every one of you this morning that Jesus Christ loves you with an undying, unchanging love. And he is willing today to receive you back like he did Israel over and over and over and over again. And this prophecy, although he's telling them, just like the first child's name, Jezreel, just like he's telling them, look, you guys are about to be destroyed by the Assyrians in the same place that you committed so many atrocities through Jehu and his descendants in the valley of Jezreel and Israel. He's saying, just like that happened, you are going to be destroyed by the Assyrians. However, that's never the end of the story with God. 
So let me give you three statements this morning, okay, that I think are relevant from this chapter. Number one, I want you to see that love is essential. Love is essential. Fundamental to every <coughs> single person in the world is the need to be loved. And this text teaches us that what Gomer really needed from Hosea was to be loved. By the way, uh, the Bible does not shy away from the picture that, that, that God paints here and what actually happened. This is not a good situation. In fact, uh, you'll find that the, the sin of idolatry in the Bible is often uh, pictured by the sin of adultery. Because nothing is more heinous, nothing is more savage. Listen very carefully. Nothing could be clearly more spoken against and clearly wrong than somebody committing adultery against their spouse. Hear me very well. It is a sin. It always will be a sin. It's always going to be a sin. Has anybody listened to me today? Hey, listen, when you there and married the person that you married, you said, I'm going to forsake all others and I'm going to cleave only to you. That is a promise that you made and a promise you should keep. This is a big deal. It's a big deal. And yet, when she did, Hosea loved her. Now, I got to tell you, while you're maybe coming up with every excuse in the book you can come up with in your own heart right now, oftentimes what I find is people need love more than they need just about anything else they could get from you. I watched a fascinating documentary not too many years ago called Unguarded. It's a, it was an ESPN 30 for 30 documentary about Chris Heron, who was a a famous uh, uh, high school basketball player in Massachusetts. He had full-ride scholarships to places like Duke and Stanford and other places, turned them all down to stay in Massachusetts and play for Boston College. He got kicked off of his team in Boston College for drug use and uh, ended up playing at San Diego State, got drafted in, I believe, the second round of the NBA draft in the, I believe it was the late 1990s. And uh, didn't have much of a stellar career, played off and on in uh, professional leagues, both in Europe and America and other places. And, and uh, his, his story basically was the story of unfulfilled uh, potential. And the whole story of Unguarded is the story of his decline into drug use, which literally destroyed his career and almost cost him his family. Thankfully, on the flip side, now Chris is actually doing well. He's been sober for a number of years and uses his life today to speak in public schools, I think 200 out of 356 days a year, and has all kinds of drug rehab centers and has used his life now as a story. But you want to know what the turning point was in that story? It was, it was at the low point of Chris's life when Chris had been arrested for uh, DUI, slammed into a telephone pole, got arrested. And if it couldn't get any worse, Chris also uh, was busted for um, stealing literally his kids' gaming centers, their PlayStations, their controllers, and taking them to the pawn shop and hawking them off for money so he could get, he literally smoked up his kids' toys. His wife, Heather, was interviewed in the video and said, why, the interviewer said, why didn't you just leave him. And she looked right at the camera and said this. I love him. I love him. 
You can say what you want to say, and you can justify whatever you want to justify. But I don't think Chris necessarily needed another judgment, needed another criticism, needed somebody else throwing a rock at him. I think really the thing that turned his heart around was the fact that his wife loved him absolutely, unconditionally, and without fail. Love was necessary. This is what this woman needed. Can I ask you a question? Where would you be today if God did not love you? How about this, even better, where would you be today if other people had not loved you? And let me ask a further question, where will others be if you don't love them? Love is necessary. Number two, love is everlasting. Love is everlasting. That's the real story. The real story is no matter what you do, Gomer, I'm going to love you. In fact, look at chapter 3, verse 1. After Hosea cheats on him and leaves him, look at what it says in chapter 3, verse 1. Then the Lord said to me, go again. Mark that word in your Bible. Go again. Go to the same woman that you love first. Go to the same woman you married at the beginning. Go to her again, a woman who is loved by a lover. And look at this. Look at this present tense verb. And is committing adultery. Here is a woman committing adultery. And what does he say? Go to her again. And look at verse number two. So I bought her for myself for 15 shekels of silver. Now, I'm going to run out of time. I'm trying to be sensitive to the fact that we have young ones here. So I'm trying not to be too long today. But let me just let me say, this cannot be skipped over. This woman had gotten so far into her sin, evidently, she took on debt for her adulteries. She has gotten into so much debt, she has now become a bond slave in debt to her sin. And now she owes the man that she is now a slave to because of money that she owed him. And the Bible says, tell Hosea to go and get her. She's a slave. She's in debt. I want you to go pay off her debt and love her again. Wow. Love is everlasting. God's love does not change. I woke up on Tuesday morning, as I always do, thankfully. I woke up on Tuesday morning, and I went, I mean, it's ritualistic, people. Okay, what I do in the morning is completely ritualistic. I wake up, the first thing I do, I go out of my bedroom, I walk down, try not to step on the landmine of toys, okay? I'm walking through the main area there, I hit the power on the Keurig button on my way past the Keurig machine, to the cabinet, I grab my cup of co- my coffee cup out of the cabinet and return back to the Keurig station just about the time it's perfect to grab a K-cup and put it in the hole there and start my first cup of two that I drink before everybody gets out of bed in the morning. Okay, that, that's just it. I mean, I want, and, and so it was very odd to me on Tuesday morning when I woke up, did my routine, sat down at table to read my Bible and spend some time in prayer before the kids got up, it was very odd to me that my coffee tasted really funky, actually nasty. That burnt, nasty taste, that weak, God-forsaken taste. And then I finally flipped my cell phone flashlight on and I shined it in my cup and sure enough, I had rerun a K-cup. I don't know how I did it. I, I, I'm not sure what happened. I don't know why this morning of all mornings of such a clear-cut routine. How? 
I forgot to flip the new cake cup into the old one, so I ran yesterday's grounds through a second time. Have any of you ever done this? And please don't tell me you do it to try to save money because that is so gross, okay? That is nasty. Cake cups are not to be used over and over and over again. They're one-use cups. Friends, I'm glad to tell you today that God's love is not like a Keurig machine. It is not like a one-use cup. I'm here to tell you that it is here for the taking to anyone who needs it, anytime they need it, for as long as they need it, and you're going to need it a lot. It is everlasting. It is not based on your significance. Listen to Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 7. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples. You were the fewest of all peoples, but it was because the Lord loved you. Boy, how many of you are glad that you don't have to win a popularity contest for God to love you? That you don't have to be on a Fortune 500 magazine for God to love you? That you don't have to be the best looking person in the world for God to love you? That you don't have to have the most successful career for God to love you? It's not based on your significance. Your significance is rather based on the fact that God loves you. His love will last forever. Look in chapter 2, verse 19. I will betroth you to me forever. This is the message. Chapter 2 is application of chapter number 1. And then chapters 4 through uh, uh, ten or 14 of Hosea do the same thing. The sermons are repeated over and over again. But what is the predominant message of the sermons? It is this. God will always love Israel and he will always love Judah. And folks, when you go backwards and you start reading the story of the Old Testament, it should fascinate you only until you take an honest look at your own life. You ever get hard on the children of Israel for, like, complaining all the time? Like, what's wrong with you people? Well, have you ever listened to yourself, like, on any given day? Have you ever thought about what you complain about? Have you ever thought about your inconsistencies? Have you ever thought about your failures, your own brokenness? I tell you, the only people that have a real positive, inflated view of themselves are people that have a skewed view of themselves. God sees and knows you not for who you would like him to think you are. He sees and knows you for who you actually are. And here's the great thing. Still loves you. God's love for you draws you to him or it should. Jeremiah 31.3, the Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I've loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I've drawn you with unfailing kindness. Listen, I don't know if there's somebody here in this room today that is unsaved. You're without God. You do not know for certain that you have a relationship with God. You frankly don't even feel like God should love you. You don't know why he would love you, but I'm here to tell you that he does. And I'm here to tell you, here's what that should do to you. It should draw you to him. Now, your relationships and your experiences may not scream to you that you even understand but I am proclaiming to something to you that is so crystal clear in the Bible, and its result should be that it actually draws you to God. Finally, God's love for you gives you constant forgiveness. Psalm 51.1, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. What is God saying through Hosea? He's saying, love is ever lasting. Some of you may have seen this. In 1999, there was a movie released called A Vow to Cherish. It is a fascinating film. It is a story of a family that was um, 
destroyed by Alzheimer's. In the story, the wife gets Alzheimer's, the husband is caring for this woman. The whole story is about the difficulty and the challenges that come with that. Culminating with another caregiver, relative, or friend of the family that starts falling for the husband because she sees his commitment to his wife and it's attractive to her. And almost at the climax of the movie where this woman starts coming on to this man, he breaks it off. And I'll never forget those words that she says. The very thing that drew me to you is the very thing that's taking you away. What drew her to him? His unfailing love. What ultimately pushed him away from her? His unfailing love. A friend, that is a pale of comparison to how much God loves you. That commitment is, is a picture. That's why marriage is such an amazing picture of the gospel. And folks, you can dabble and wonder about different things scripturally, but I'm here to tell you, permanence in marriage is a picture of the gospel. Commitment to your spouse through it all. You listening to me? Staying faithful when it's hard. Staying faithful through good times. In sickness and in health. And, and, and richer for poor. Forsaking all others. That's a thing, man. It's a God thing. It's an everlasting thing. We live in a, a whimsical society that thinks that relationships can come and go and we get bored with this and bored with that. Listen, we show the world who Jesus is when we stay faithful to our spouse. So love is everlasting. Finally, and I'm done. Love is costly. Love is costly. Chapter 3. Come to Hosea again, God says. Love her again. And so I went. Let's just look at the verse again. I want to finish with this. Verse 2. So I bought her for myself for 15 shekels of silver. What irony that he had to buy his own wife. It's kind of like God purchasing back his own creation, you. 15 shekels of silver, that was an Old Testament prescription for uh, the amount of money it would take to purchase out a bond slave. It was standard fare. It was costly. So let me ask you a question. What is the standard fare? What is the prescription for God's love for you? Well, it's like this. The wages of sin is death. The soul that sins, it shall die. What is the price for God's love for you? What is the price for God's love for me? It's this. For as much as you know, you weren't redeemed with corruptible things. As silver or gold from the vain conversation or empty lifestyle that came down from tradition from your fathers. It's not religion. It's not tradition. It's not vanity. It's not empty works. But... With the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. How were you bought? You were bought with death. You were bought with blood. You were bought on the cross. You were bought by Jesus. That's the cost. How much did God love you? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. 
How much does God love you? God demonstrated his love toward you and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for you. That's the cost. How much does God love you? He loves you enough to go to Calvary, shed his blood, give his life, go to the grave, empty the tomb three days later, and ascend back to his father to draw you to himself for the next thousands of years until he comes back again. That's how much God loves you. And the word that I've used in some of those verses that I quote is the word redeemed. That's exactly what happens in chapter 3, verse 2. It's a word in the Bible used often, redeemed. It, it, it means to buy back, to take somebody up on an offer, and a price is paid and something is taken back. Some of you might see the word still if you still use coupons. Sometimes on a coupon, it says redeemable at certain locations and redeemable by certain dates. You ever taken a coupon to a store after the date expired? Ouch. Do you know it's said that after Christmas every year, there are millions and millions, millions, multiplied hundreds of million dollars of gift cards that are never spent every year. Did you know that? This is why gift cards are so, such a good option for businesses because typically people spend more than they bought or because people just don't quite spend what they bought and there's $5 left on here and $2.77 left on here. I've got one, I said that because I've got one, it's $2.77 I've had for about seven years. I just can't find a spot to use it. Redemption in Jesus is awesome if you take him up on his offer. It's available to you today, but it has an expiration date. It can only be used in one way, by faith in Jesus. It can only be used in a space of time. That is, it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. So you need to believe in Jesus as the way. You need to believe in Jesus before you die or it's too late. Love is costly. How many of you are glad today that God loves you? Amen. Me too. Let's pray together. You young people did great today. Thank you for being with us today. And I want you just to hang on for just one more minute, if you will. Try to stay quiet and still for just one more minute. Every week at River City, we give people an opportunity to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. This week, we had a family come to Christ. I'm thankful for that. Every week, people were coming to Christ. I hope today, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ, that you will know and believe how much God loves you. And if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you do not know... If you didn't know before today how much God loves you and how much he's willing to forgive you, then today I pray you'll open up your heart like the front door of your house and receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. The Bible says whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. It's a promise. It's a conditional promise. If you call, if you ask, if you believe, you will be saved. It's a conditional promise, but it's a glorious promise. 
right here and right now, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you do not know that heaven is your home, you do not know that, I want to invite you today, right here, right now, in your seat, to believe on Jesus and call upon his name. All you need to do, according to the Bible, is ask him. The Philippian jailer, what must I do to be saved? Paul says, just believe, just believe. The way you express that belief is in prayer and asking. You can right now in your heart, just repeat this prayer after me in your heart, in your seat. You can pray it out loud if you want. But right here, right now in your seat, just lift up your heart, your voice to God. These words are not magical, but they express a heart. If you're saying, man, I don't know how to talk to God. I don't know how to tell him I believe. I'm going to help you. You just say, dear Jesus. I know I'm a sinner. I know I cannot save myself. But I believe in Jesus. I believe he died. I believe he rose again. Today, I accept him as my savior. Thank you for loving me. Help me never to be ashamed of you. Amen. Now with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, listen very carefully. I just want to rejoice with you. I just want to rejoice with you. And I want to get a gift into your hand. And I want to help you in any way that I can. All across this room today, how many of you would say, Preacher, I just prayed that prayer. I meant it. I'm so glad that I did. I asked Jesus to be my Savior. God bless you guys. That's awesome. We got a, somebody bringing that gift to you right now and sharing that with you. We're so thankful for you. Anybody else? Preacher, I prayed that prayer a minute. Glad I did. I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior today, and I'm so thankful for that. And we rejoice with these, don't we? Thank God for it. Let's all stand to our feet if we could. As we close today, I want our men to get those gifts to these folks that have accepted Christ. I want uh, the Bush family and the Adder family to come, if you will. They're going to be welcomed into our membership this morning. We always end service with prayer. We always members as well. And I want to introduce them to you as they come. You can keep playing. That's fine. That's fine. How many are glad for those that got saved today? Amen. Boy, I know I am. So excited about uh, these families coming today. This right here is Phil and Jill Adder. I never forgot their name when I met them. I mean, it was a done deal. I said, oh, man, I'm, I'm, I try to be good with names. That, that, that was an easy one. And uh, it, Phil and Jill are actually Jessica's uh, mom and dad. They've all been visiting our church for quite some time. And uh, they both, all the, they've been to our new members class and just been a delight to get to know them. This is Matt and Jessica Bush. And what an awesome story. I cannot wait for you guys to meet them. They're going to be involved in our children's ministry. We've got some new things coming in the next uh, year, next few months. And they just come with a lot of ministry experience. Have been missionaries uh, in Haiti. You need to hear their story. We, our church has gotten behind their, their nonprofit called All Things New. And they're just doing a phenomenal work. And, uh, you know, I, I want to just say this real quick. I don't want them to be embarrassed. But I know Matt, Matt and I had talked a lot before they came to our church. And Matt told me, he said, he said, Pastor, I, I've had more than one opportunity to, like, go be a youth pastor or assistant pastor at a church, 
He said, but we just really like it at River City, and we just feel like God wants us here. And that's admirable for someone that's been trained and, and equipped and has ministry in their background experience. But this is Matt. This is his wife, Jessica. Awesome people. Can't wait for you to meet them. These are their children. This is Ezekiel and Elijah. Who's, I'm, I'm getting confused. Elijah, okay. Ezekiel's got the cool glasses. Elijah, and this is Sophie. And this is a great family. We're just thrilled. Thrilled to have them join us. I need a motion to receive into membership. May 2nd. And all in favor say amen. Welcome to River City Baptist Church. I'd like a few of us to just come and have a closing word of prayer. And if you will, and then Levi, you got announcements today? You don't? Okay, I do, so I'll give some in just a minute. So let's go ahead. Let's go ahead and have a few folks come and pray. I'll say a closing word of prayer. Let's go ahead and come. Let's pray with these folks. And then after the service is dismissed, you can meet them. And let's say a word of prayer with them as we close.